He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning, five, six days after the election. How does it all work out? We have Carl Rove with an analysis. We have Marsha Blackburn, the senator from Tennessee. We have Mario Conomo on what's going on in Europe. Larry Kudlow on the economy. Gordon Chi Chang talks about President Biden's meeting with President Xi. What is going to happen? Well, two things about China right now that are of particular importance to the United States. Uh, later this week, um, President Biden is going to meet with Xi Jinping on the sidelines of the G20 in Bali in Indonesia. And this conversation, as some people say, is the first summit of the second Cold War. What's important is that Xi Jinping is probably not prepared to talk to the United States in good faith, because on November 8th, our election day, Xi Jinping actually talked to the Chinese military, said prepare for war. That we've heard before. What we didn't really hear before is something else that Xi said, and that is he said that the international situation for China is unstable and uncertain. Now, that can't be true because nobody is threatening China. And so those comments sound unhinged, unless he was referring to China's internal situation, because China right now is quite fragile. And because China is fragile internally, that makes Xi Jinping really, I think, more incentive to um, reach out and um, invade some neighbor or cause some problem around the world. So right now, China is extremely dangerous. And that means President Biden is talking to Xi Jinping at a consequential moment. How do you think the American people should react to this? I mean, there was an election uh, and... Uh, uh, the GOP did not get the amount of congressional seats they originally imagined to. Uh, they did not get 53, 54 uh, Senate seats that they imagined to. Is it that the American people don't understand the seriousness of what's going on in the world? Give me Gordon Jang's Gordon opinion. Oh, I certainly was surprised by the results on, on November 8th. Um, I don't do internal politics, but um, I thought that there would be um, at least some evidence of a Republican wave. Um, but in China, though, um, or with regard to China, um, both sides of the political aisle are more or less in agreement about China. And so the results of November 8th probably will not affect to a great extent uh, China policy. Um, because there are certain things that are going to happen regardless of uh, who's in control of the houses of Congress. But the thing here, John, though, is that neither of the parties is at a point where they understand the urgency and the severity of the situation with China. So I'm concerned that we are not preparing ourselves with the rigor that is necessary. Understood. Um, what else would you like to tell the American people? Um, there was a very interesting development just a few hours ago. Uh, Catherine Tai, the U.S. Trade Representative, 
um, actually invited uh, industry groups to comment on the Section 301 tariffs. These were the tariffs that were imposed in 2018 by President Trump for the theft of U.S. intellectual property by China. I don't think that the USTR should be inviting uh, companies to ask for waivers or exemptions. Um, and the fact that this happened just after Election Day really, to me, is um, can't be co- coincidental. Should the, uh, the American people be concerned? I think we should be very concerned for any number of different reasons. And really the most important is that we have a White House and we have a Pentagon, both the senior civilian leaders like uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, but also the three and four stars who understand, yes, of course, there's a threat by China, but they don't understand how urgent it is. And because of that, I think China can take us by surprise. And it's not just necessarily Taiwan. It could be Japan or the Philippines, with which we have treaty relationships. could be India. could be any sort of um, very provocative intercepts in the global commons, either in the sea or in the air. Um, China right now is pushing out in um, two directions, to its south and to its east. And that really means that we're at risk. Um, an, an update on the relationships between China, Russia, India. Are they forming a, a, a more permanent alliance? Well, certainly China and Russia are the core of a new axis. And uh, part of that axis also includes North Korea and Iran, possibly Algeria. Um, many people made uh, thought it was significant that Xi Jinping, in his meeting with uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, said that Russia shouldn't use nuclear weapons. But we've got to remember that it's not only Putin who has been threatening the use of nukes, but also the Chinese themselves going back, especially to July of last year when they threatened Tokyo with incineration, September when they uh, went after Australia, March when they went after everybody in the world, threatening worst consequences. So um, I don't know what's going on inside uh, that uh, Moscow-Beijing axis. But um, there's a lot of developments that we don't know. But I'm afraid that they are getting closer together, not farther apart. And who else would, in, would join this access? Um, clearly the North Koreans. Because um, as the Chinese and the Russians have been making threats of first strikes of their nuclear weapons, uh, North Korea, for the first time uh, a little while ago, threatened first use. You know, North Koreans have for years threatened to use their nukes against the United States or South Korea, but it's always been in the context of North Korea being attacked first. What we heard a few months ago was um, North Korea threatening preemptive use of their nukes, first strikes, and that is in line with what China and Russia are are threatening. Um, So uh, clearly North Korea is a part of this. Iran has been supported by China uh, in its activities throughout the Middle East. Um, Algeria uh, has been threatening Morocco, um, and Algeria is a friend of both Russia and China. So there are a lot of things that are going on um, right now, and that's an axis which I think is going to only solidify over time. And Iran? Certainly Iran, um, because um, people right now in the Middle East, Uh, especially in the Gulf Cooperation Council countries, are complaining that the Biden administration is not doing enough to counter Iranian terrorism, which everybody in the region knows is fueled by Chinese money. 
So um, this is China and Iran working very, very closely together. It's not just that big 25-year partnership that they announced last year between Beijing and Tehran. Understood. Now, uh, Saudi Arabia, always an ally of the United States of America, but not happy at what Washington was doing, has become a money ally as far as the price of crude oil is concerned with Russia because they both want $100 oil to, to, to feather their own nests. People like me want to see $65, $70 oil and reduce inflation. Where do you see that Saudi Arabia-Russian relationship? Deepening cooperation. And also, um, there's deepening cooperation between Saudi Arabia and China, even though on the issue of oil, their interests conflict. China wants cheap oil. Uh, Saudi Arabia wants expensive oil. Um, but there's talks of uh, Xi Jinping uh, going uh, to Saudi Arabia soon, though that has not been firmed up. Um, you know, the Biden administration uh, and President Biden himself think that they can um, severely criticize uh, the House of Saud and there would be no consequences. Well, there are consequences. Got to remember that one of the reasons why we won the Cold War is because Saudi Arabia cooperated with Ronald Reagan in reducing the price of hydrocarbons, which then um, made uh, the Soviet Treasury bear. Um, And that was a purposeful um, Reagan um, plan to basically starve out the Soviet Union. And we had Saudi Arabia's critical help on that. Now Saudi Arabia seems to be playing for the other side, and that's the result of some very bad policies of the Biden administration. So the American people need to understand that uh, there are consequences for um, going out of our way to irritate a country, which is absolutely crucial for America's interest, not only in the Middle East, but around the world as well. Understood. Anything else? we got a minute left. The, the thing that I'm concerned about and certainly I'm looking at is that we Americans are not talking to our friends. When Biden goes to the G20, um, he's going to have fruitless conversations with Xi Jinping. And we know exactly what uh, the Chinese want. Um, we don't need to actually sit down and talk with them because the Chinese tell us every day. What we need to be doing at the G20, John, is talking to our friends and allies, not to um, our adversaries and enemies. Um, it just seems we need to solidify our friendships. The Biden administration is not doing that. Understood. Um, anybody who wants to be kept up to date, it's uh, his uh, Gordon Chang's Twitter is at Gordon G. Chang, and you'll be up to date on what's going on in the Far East. Thank you, Gordon, for letting all Americans know and keeping them up to date. Thank you, John, and God bless. God bless America. Thank you. Looking for a little common sense? You've found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. First on the line, we have the Honorable Carl Rove. He was a Republican. He is a Republican policy advisor. He was a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff during the George W. Bush administration. Welcome back to Cats at Night. So we we figured out, Carl, Carl, we figured out there's nobody knows what's going on other than you. Tell us what's going what's going on with the GOP. Are we still looking for that red wave? Uh, you, you tell us. Well, it, as you may remember, when we talked about this earlier, my view was that we were going to be lucky to get between 20 and 25 seats in the House. And it looks like we're not going to get even that. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we and, and five we or six with, of them are coming from New York State. How is that possible? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how that's possible. Lee Zeldin ran a hell of a race. 
mobilized uh, Long Island and mobilized upstate over the issue of crime. And he was assisted in this. I don't know exactly how he arranged this, but he was assisted in this by the tone deaf response of your sitting governor. And, uh, you know, I actually I know Mike Lawler. We're, we're friends. I did a fundraiser for him and actually contributed to his campaign. So um, and full disclosure. But, I mean, you had some able candidates, particularly out on the island in the, in the Hudson River Valley. And uh, they took advantage of, of what Zeldin did to turn the turn this into a, turn the governor's race into a, a, a horse race. Well, Who Carl, Nassau five, County five in Nassau County and Suffolk County. Race. Are, are law-abiding counties. They care yep. about the law. And a lot of uh, New York City uh, people that, that care about the law, they have escaped and went to Nassau County and Suffolk County. Yeah, and it, uh, it showed. So uh, who would have thought that Florida would, would add four seats to the Congress, to the Republican ranks, and New York would add five and maybe six? Had a lot to do with the redistricting call. Yes, absolutely. Because and, the Democrats uh, try to take advantage of the districting process. They acted unlawfully in violation of the state constitutional amendments, and they got taken to the cleaners by good uh, by good litigators and by smart people who realized there was a, a flaw in the process. How about some may- maybe some honest judges once in a while? Yeah, it cost her her chief exactly. judge spot. But the yes. chief judge, it cost her her job. They pushed her out after the uh, redistrict. And uh, once again, we see the handy, handiwork of uh, Ed Cox and, and John Faso on that. They played a key role in uh, energizing and raising the money and making sure that the right lawyers were in place for that. But uh, And the people of New York who voted for a constitutional amendment that the uh, that the governor and, the, and her hench people in the legislature said, we don't care what the people said in a constitutional referendum. We're going to just do it our way. What's going on in the rest of it? We talked about Florida, big red wave in Florida. Last time, DeSantis won uh, by a quarter of a point or a half a point. And this time he won by almost 19 points against a, a name recognizable. Charlie Crisp was former governor, and he, he had good name recognition. I mean, it looks like they create, we've created a fort. A red fort in in Florida and in Texas. What's going on in the rest of the country? I mean, I can't believe uh, some of those numbers. Well, uh, incidentally, the rest of the Florida story is they 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 took over the last office statewide office held by Democrats, and they have super majorities in the uh, Florida House and the Florida Senate. You're right. In Texas, our our governor got reelected to entire Republican slate. Uh, we added to our numbers in the state legislature. We uh, we added to uh, our, our number of uh, appellate judges reelected to Supreme Court. The, another great place was the uh, state of uh, Georgia, where uh, Stacey Abrams was defeated by Brian Kemp and the entire Republican ticket swept in by a healthy margin uh, led by Brian Kemp. Uh, and then the other news of the night is the other quintessential swing state, Ohio, Mike DeWine, gets reelected by the governor of the state of Ohio, beating a popular mayor, the, uh, the mayor of Dayton, a major city in the state, by 26 points and carried the entire Republican ticket in, including Supreme Court justices, which is important because uh, for weird reasons, next year the Supreme Court is going to uh, redraw the lines for Congress. They, they allowed they allowed them to run this year under a set of lines, but but are going to redraw them next year. And they have a supermajority in the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate, 
And nobody can remember when that last happened uh, in Ohio. So we had four governors that, that uh, ran very strong races and uh, helped grow their parties immensely. Again, we are speaking to the Honorable Carl Rove. Uh, Honorable Rove, so why we're, we're seeing it throughout all the papers, the New York Post, even the Daily News. Everybody seems to be piling on Trump. They're blaming him for this red wave that never came. It turns into a, a ripple, if, if anything. What What's your take on it? Well, look, this was supposed to be a referenda on the performance of the Biden administration. But looking at the exit polls or the, the election analysis, as they're called at Fox, which involves tens of thousands of interviews, it's, it's apparent that in significant parts of the country, this turned into a choice between who who do you want as the leader for the country? Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And we did not fare as well as we did when we kept the the, the uh, focus entirely on Joe Biden. And then we were saddled by candidates who the former president endorsed. And uh, and and uh, some of them were good, but a lot of them were bad. And some of them, even the good ones, uh, didn't have financial resources. J.D. Vance won in Ohio. Uh, he won by about nine points, I think it was, while uh, DeWine on the ballot above him is winning by 26 but uh, a group that I was associated with, Senate Leadership Fund, had to spend $35 million in order to help him get it to get, get, get past his Democrat opponent. And um, President Trump is sitting on $100 million and has put, it looks like, somewhere less than $10 million into the campaigns. So if you're going to nominate these people, in essence, by endorsing them and giving them your blessing, which a lot of Republicans said, if the, if the former president is for them, I'm for them, too. If you're going to do that, then you need to be helping them in the general election. And he had some bad choices and uh, in some of these people that he ba- backed because he didn't do the homework necessary to vet them. And then when they got in, then, then when people got into the general election, um, others had to ride to their rescue, not the former president. There's going to be a fight to be the nominee of the party in 2024. Carl Rove, thank you so much for bringing all our listeners up to date. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Great. Thank you. With us today is Marsha Blackburn. She is the senator from Tennessee, and she's the first woman to represent Tennessee in the United States Senate. Uh, Senator, it's five days, six days after the election. Where the heck are we? We are looking at having a uh, slim majority in the House. We will find out soon about the Senate. December 6th will be the the runoff in Georgia, and it is going to be all hands on deck between now and December 6th to be sure that Herschel Walker wins. Senator, the, the one thing that the American people don't understand is, uh, okay, uh, the, the, uh, the GOP is going to have the House. Uh, hopefully, uh, they may have the Senate, too. What happens, what checks and balances uh, are available uh, having the Senate and the House or just the, or just the House uh, to, uh, to balance out uh, all the things going on in Washington? Yes, what we have to do is realize this. When you have the House and the Senate, there are things you can do that otherwise you would not have the ability to do if you're in the minority. With the Senate, the, the putting judges on the bench, 
confirming ambassadors, U.S. marshals, uh, confirming federal appointments. All of that comes through the Senate. So it allows you to block people who are not qualified, who ought not to be in these positions. When it comes to the House, with starting that budget process, it allows the House to begin to push forward with an agenda that will actually cap or freeze or reduce federal spending. Those are two things that are important. The other thing is this. I think we have to realize as we look at the elections, a lot of these congressional seats that were considered to be safe Democrat seats, blue seats in blue states, they ended up going to Republicans. Why was that? It was because you had Republicans jump into those races and they kept the Democrats to a very slim margin. The only way Democrats won these seats is by separating themselves from the Biden agenda. They couldn't have done it, cozied up to Biden. So whether it was Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire saying, yes, something needs to be done about the border and drugs and inflation, or, you know, others around the country in Virginia, you had some of the House candidates separating themselves from the Biden agenda. And that is why some of these Democrat voters went back to people that they knew and Democrats that were there and gave them another chance if they were going to challenge Joe Biden. But if Congress and the Senate, uh, if they were both GOP and they did something, uh, President Biden still has the right to veto you or go override you guys. Is that correct? Yeah, of course. That's right. But think about it this way. Having those majorities in the House and the Senate, and those are Democrats that sought to distance themselves from the White House, that said we need to address crime in the streets, we need to fund the police, we need to restore law and order, we need to get inflation down, we need to go back to drilling or fracking in the U.S., it would be important for us to give them the opportunity to keep their word to their constituents, give them the opportunity to vote on legislation that would actually put those components in place. And I look forward to a Republican majority being able to provide these individuals with those opportunities, bringing good legislation forward that is going to cut spending, that is going to cut the size of the federal bureaucracy. And if Joe Biden vetoes it, we will see how how committed these individuals are to actually keeping that word. What's going to happen with the border. If the Secretary of Homeland Security is not protecting the border, what can 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 uh, uh, the, uh, a GOP Senate or a GOP uh, Congress do? You will see us, uh, when it comes to this border, have legislation that would actually push forward on building the wall, giving, putting a permanent barrier in place, giving law enforcement the opportunity to have technology that they need where they can't have that border. This is what they've been asking for for 30 years. And I think it's important for us to allow Border Patrol to have what they need, what they've been telling us they need to secure that border.
What, what else do you think is important to the American people that you want to tell them this uh, Sunday morning? You know, John, I think one one item that they have spoken out on repeatedly is parental rights and parents wanting to make certain that they know what their children are being taught, how they're being taught, uh, making certain that more attention is being placed to the basics, the educational basics, making certain that their daughters are not being forced to compete against boys in, in girls' sports. Uh, those are uh, things that come up all the time. In addition to that, I would say I heard a good bit about concerns over loss of freedoms. And we know that as Republicans, it is going to be important that we stand up and protect those individual freedoms, that uh, we not back down and let these big government uh, government taking freedoms, government do- government doling out however much freedom they think that you deserve to have back. Uh, so those will come forward. Understood. Well, Senator Blackburn, I uh, I pray and hope that this common sense prevails and and uh, that under the new uh, year and the new administration and the new uh, Senate and the new uh, Congress that. Uh, Everybody can sit down together and and do what's best for America. Thank Thank you. you. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. Not three times on the ceiling if you want. With us today is Mario Economo, our European correspondent. He was a former banker in in uh, Athens, uh, Zurich, London, New York, Philadelphia, and uh, he always calls us to give us an update of what's going on in the European community. How are you, Mario? Good morning, Mr. Katsimatidis. I'm very well, thank you. Yes, today let's start with something rather unfortunate. Uh, We've been informed, or rather the Kremlin has informed uh, the G20 that President Putin will not be attending the conference later this month uh, in Indonesia. That's a rather unfortunate development, uh, given it had provided a very good opportunity for President Putin, President Zelensky, President Biden, as well as the various other people around the world to sit in a room and see if they could reach an agreement to end the war in the Ukraine. President Xi is meeting with President Biden. The reason the reason that this is important that President uh, Putin is not going is because it, it, it does not provide a platform for them to reach an agreement. The Kremlin announced the reason he's not going is because they cannot guarantee his safety. They believe that uh, U.S., British, and European intelligence uh, may try to assassinate him. So therefore, they don't want to take the risk of allowing President Putin to be at the conference. This is also falling on the back of what's going on in Kherson uh, in the Ukraine, where the Russians have decided to unilaterally withdraw on the other side of the river. Uh, Whereas the Ukrainians should be celebrating this, specifically Mr. Zelensky, he's very cautious and he believes that the Russians are only doing this to essentially regroup because they're unable at the current time to resupply uh, and logistically support their military forces there. So Mr. Zelensky is saying that he doesn't believe that this is going to actually result in 
something long-term and good. President Biden, for his part, has said that both Russia and the uh, Ukraine, and, and specifically Mr. Zelensky, should see if they can sit down at a table and reach some type of an agreement to end the hostilities and the war. The Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, through Ms. Zaharova, has announced that they're prepared to meet with the Europeans and to discuss terms that could actually end this war. And I think that everybody on all sides right now is prepared uh, uh, to consider sitting down to speak, except for one person, and that one person is Mr. Zelensky. And that's very dangerous because he's playing an all-or-nothing game. And unfortunately, in the world we live in, and in life in general, when you play all-or-nothing, you seldom come up a winner. So perhaps Mr. Zelensky will reconsider his stance. Now, there is something else that's interesting and that's happening as well, and that is in Russia, specifically two large European retailers who had withdrawn uh, when the sanctions first were, were first implemented, uh, they are actually going to, uh, under a different brand name, relaunch in Russia. So they are essentially going to be uh, selling under a different name and under a different ownership structure but they'll be selling once again in Russia. And this, is, this was obvious, and it was bound to happen. I think when everybody pulled out of Russia, the goal was to wait and see, wait six months, seven months, maximum ten months. But at this point, they realized that this war may continue. That being said, they don't want to have an impact on their business, so they're going to figure out ways to rebrand and sell in Russia under a different banner or name. Understood. Now, uh, you know, Russia has created a alliance with China. Iran is part of that, that alliance. Uh, Saudi Arabia has an agreement with, with Russia uh, on oil that they want to maintain $100 uh, a, a barrel uh, price. They, tell us where, where all this stuff sorts itself out. I think we need to all accept and realize that we're no longer going to live in the uh, U.S.-centric world that we've li lived in up until now. We're now seeing the world split into two camps once again, in much the same way we did uh, during the Cold War, except now it's going to essentially be the Cold War on steroids. The reason I say on steroids is because China is going to be on the other side with Russia and with many other countries around the world that have either refused to sanction uh, Russia or have basically said they are going to uh, continue trading with Russia and they don't feel that anything wrong has been committed by Russia. So I think that uh, as long as we all, we being in the West, meaning Europe and the U.S., understand and realize that we're going to once again be facing a multipolar world, we need to figure out ways wherein we can trade with those countries without necessarily focusing on changing their government structures or the way that they run their own countries. We need to basically focus on ourselves and figure out how we can actually trade successfully with them so that we can maintain our quality of life and standard of living without worrying about what is happening in those particular countries. Where does the uh, country of uh, Turkey and Erdogan stand this, this week? Well, that's a very good question, Mr. Katsimatidis, and thank you for asking me. Yesterday we had an uh, election in the U.S., uh, and this election 
will actually be the most, the outcome of that election will be the most beneficial for one country in Europe, and specifically Greece. We saw a whole uh, grouping of Greek Americans who are very supportive of Greece win re-election, uh, as well as some new people come into Congress who are going to be big supporters of Greece, as well as the new senator from Pennsylvania. I think that's positive. I think it's going to make things for Turkey progressively more difficult, and I expect Turkey to become progressively more belligerent as President Erdogan moves towards the election, uh, his re-election in mid-year of 2023, meaning essentially six to seven months out. The numbers in Turkey have turned. The polls are starting to favor President Erdogan. His belligerent rhetoric against Greece has actually worked domestically. It has not worked internationally, so it will be interesting to see how he's going to move ahead. Well, Mario Economo, thank you so much for the update, and uh, let's catch up again real soon. And uh, always text me or, or call me if there's urgent uh, news to be reported in America. Okay, thank you for having me on. What is today is Dr. Peter Mihalos. Would we consider our in-house genius, uh, knows a lot about science, knows a lot about medicine, and uh, Dr. Mihalos, we're going into flu season. What are you going to recommend to all our listeners to do to stay safer? Absolutely, John, and uh, we want to keep our audience healthy. And a lot of times people forget to talk about the basic things. And uh, when we say we catch cold, one of the things that happens is that when we have freezing weather and our mucous membranes dry out in our nose and our sinuses, viruses and bacteria more readily enter. That's why children, uh, many times when we were kids, they would use things like uh, cool mist humidifiers or warm mist humidifiers because the mucous membranes are warmer. That's why people get more sick on airplanes because of the dry air. With the dry air, what happens is that people um, have uh, viruses and bacteria enter more readily. So keeping a humidifier on the bedroom, especially with young children, they tend to get less sick. sick. You don't want it to go below 50%. So around 50% is very good. The problem so is in, that in my shown... bedroom, I got three different machines. I got the ultraviolet light machine that kills all the all, all all viruses. Then I got the air purifier that takes all bad purification out of the air. Then I have a um, a humidifier that puts the uh, numbers above fifty fifty percent in humidity in the bedroom. And then you have but to you seal the bedroom. You have to close the doors to the bedroom. Otherwise, the humidity just doesn't stay in one place. No, it doesn't stay, but now they have these units that do all three. They filter the air, and they kill the mold, viruses, and bacteria in the water, and they produce the humidity. So there are units now that do all three, and I'm not here to market any um, different models, but there are some uh, models. There's one that's made in Germany that's quite good, but they do exist, and uh, they do help by keeping the mucous membranes moist so you get less sick. Simple things like washing hands, because when we touch things that other people have touched, or you shake hands with somebody who just touched their nose and they have the flu, you might be getting it. Changing pillowcases and sheets after we have a cold or something, uh, the side we sleep on is usually the side, for example, we get conjunctivitis because that's the side that we sleep on with our pillowcase. So when we're not feeling well, it's better to change pillowcase and sheets more frequent. Another thing that helps to prevent secondary infections and eye infections, too, is wash your hair with baby shampoo, let the lather go over the face, keep your lids and lashes clean, and that keeps bacteria off of the lids. 
You want to cover well, our tell mouth us about sneeze? our hair. Does bacteria tend to go into the hair or, or jump into it? You tell us. Yeah, we do have all kinds of bugs and bacteria all over our skin. It's part of our natural microbiome. We have some bacteria that actually help our health healthy to our skin. Some people are carriers for bad bacteria like MRSA, the methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. There's a bunch of people like that. So uh, we just want to keep our, our skin uh, clean using a nice soap that has a moisture, moisturizer in it. It doesn't have to be a super harsh soap, but you know, cleanliness is one of the reasons why people don't die of, of infections as much anymore. So that's important to, in, as, in the process of trying to uh, stay healthy. But when you do get sick, we tell our audience to make sure they get tested because now with all these urgent care centers around, you can be tested for strep, flu, or COVID right away. If you do test positive for influenza, there are pills like Tamiflu, which knock out the virus right away, but you got to do it in the first three days. We've already talked about COVID. If you have COVID, then you, you can either take the pills or the IV antibodies, which are very effective right away, so you don't end up with long-haul COVID problems. And if you have strep, because a lot of times it's getting missed now because everybody's thinking about strep, you can take antibiotics and prevent potential heart damage or valve damage. And also we're seeing a surge of something called RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. The urgent care centers around the New York tri-state area are being filled with that. It's a viral type of infection and a lot of small children are getting it. And that's another thing we talked about why the humidity is so important so when we keep things moist. That's why in Florida in the summer, when people go indoors into the air conditioned air, the COVID rates rise in the south and the opposite in the north. When it gets dry, we know that in dry air, the virus can go up to 26 feet when someone with COVID has it. So in the, we're going to see the surge happening now as people move indoor into the dry air. So humid air, the virus does not travel as far. And when people are outdoors, it doesn't travel as far these are some of the things, of course, eating healthy and trying to maintain a healthy weight. Some people use vitamin C as an antioxidant, which are people. many people are convinced the data is mixed, but uh, definitely it probably helps with cold. Some people use zinc, and it's thought to be antiviral as well in low doses. And uh, taking a, a good multivitamin that's marked GMP brand manufactured here in the United States uh, is probably not a bad thing to do. How often do you think uh, people should be tested for their vitamin D level, their arsenic level, their uh, other uh, metals uh, test? Because if you eat well, too much vi- fish, well, the- you know what happened to me and you yeah. when we ate too much fish? Absolutely. I think that the insurance companies don't want to pay for it, so you have to ask for it. It's called a heavy metal screen. It includes uh, lead, arsenic, and mercury. Doctors tell people, oh, you have a low D level, start taking this, but they forget to tell them, please, in six months, we have to check your levels again because the mnemonic is ADEC, A-D-E-K. Those are the fat-soluble vitamins that build up and don't go out of our system. When you take things like CMB complex, you see it right away in your golden yellow urine, but those other vitamins, A, D, and K, are fat-soluble, and they can accumulate, and you can actually get toxicity. So I tell people that if you started on that, you should check it twice a year and make sure that your levels are proper and sometimes you have to advocate on your own behalf because a lot of uh, healthcare systems now they don't want to pay for a lot of these tests or even the heavy metal screen and the same thing with uh, when you get bit by a tick they don't want to they just send off a lime titer instead of sending what's called a tick panel where you check for all three babesiosis or rickiosis and lime so sometimes you need to advocate on your behalf that's why you listen to wabc and you get these tips to stay healthier and uh, live longer and get ready for uh, flu season 
Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you for everything you do for our listeners. We, you know how we end up getting more and more listeners? People telling other people and keeping them alive. We keep our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. I started an interview during the week with William Shatner, Captain Kirk from the 24th century. And to finish it off, Frank Morano did an additional interview, and I thought we should have at least five minutes of it. As uh, I alluded to when uh, we were speaking with John Katz and Matides, I have seen, uh, and he's an oil man, but I have seen uh, some people in the oil sector and and people that have made money in the fossil fuel business be willing to make that uh, transition to renewables and biofuels and things of uh, of that nature. But if you're just an ordinary person, if you're not William Shatner, who has a global or international uh, megaphone, if you're not a billionaire like John Katz and Matides, what can an individual person do who's listening to us right now that's concerned well, about the future of the planet? You can, you can elect officials that talk about it uh, with sensibilities. Uh, you can, uh, and that's the key thing. Our government and the governments of the world are gradually acknowledging the, the existential problem that exists. It's just that if so many people who might have a, a mortgage on their house and can't make the payment would rather go out to dinner or, or, or in some way uh, kick the, the can down the road rather than facing the problem we've got to stop spending money enough so we can pay the mortgage. It's hmm. just human nature. We've buried our heads in the sand. Industries have buried their heads in the sand. Ordinary people, who do you think was affected by the by the hurricanes uh, and the cyclones that hit uh, uh, Florida, Florida is on the verge of being inundated by the sea. We know the sea is going to rise. So already, Florida around Miami, they're putting up twenty foot walls uh, in front of apartments that cost millions of dollars, so they can have a view of the sea. Walls are going up now to contain uh, the water. New York City is going to have to put up dams. There's no question. All this is happening in the future. We've got to go with the future. We've got to swing with the blow. We've got to take the, the hit and move with it. And denying it is going to lead to our death. So ordinary people need to understand there is a way out, but we have to have people representing us to uh, help lead us out of the way. At 90 chose to actually go swimming with sharks. I'm wondering if you could tell people about what that experience was like and why you chose to go swimming with sharks at any age, let alone 90. Well, swimming with sharks was a challenge, and they were 18-foot tiger sharks. And there was an element of safety because I was diving with Bahamian uh, divers who knew their job. So there was one behind me the whole time except when he darted out to push a shark aside. Uh, he was behind me because he told me later they're ambush predators, 
and they sneak up behind you. They, there is an element of danger, no question. Sharks uh, sometimes take a bite out of people, but mostly it's because they, they think the human being is a seal or, or something edible. Mostly, not all the time, enough to, to make it dangerous. The, uh, sharks don't want to have anything to do with it. But it was that thrill of the danger. It was that thrill of jumping out of an airplane. It's that thrill of going up into space knowing that hydrogen mm. uh, was in the vehicle and, and burning to get us up there and having my head filled over the years with the Hindenburg uh, documentaries. So it has to do with the thrill, and it has to do with the curiosity. And if your grandma just asked a question about Mahjong, where does it come from? Where does it go? <laughs> Who thought of it? Why are these rules? It's the curiosity of everybody all the time that keeps you alive and well and young. It's that inner child that needs to be cultivated and, and kept alive so that that child of three, four, five, six, seven says, what's that and why is it? That's the secret to, to uh, full and, and long life. We've got Larry Kudlow, Happy Veterans Day, even though you're not a veteran, but we're saying Happy Veterans, right? Well, yeah, Happy Veterans. We remember all of our veterans, those who are with us and those who made the ultimate sacrifice to keep America safe and free. God bless all of them. Yes, sir. I just had a very interesting conversation with uh, one of the advocators of Bitcoin. It was quite interesting. That's all I can say. And this, well, I heard the back end of it. it the, 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 the guy that was a chairman of that company who last week had a net worth of $17 billion. Today, he has a net worth of zero. Yep. Yep. Well, there's risk. There's big risk. You try to go in. But one of the troubling parts of that story, uh, perhaps you covered it, is uh, he was doing uh, Bernard Madoff stuff. That's what I, mean, I said to him. Madoff, too. Yeah, the guy's a corrupt guy. He's a crook. He was using customer money to cover his liabilities. Terrible story. The whole thing from soup to nuts. I will say one thing. I mean, not all crypto people are as corrupt as this guy is. And some of the crypto stuff is going to be around. I mean, it's not Bitcoin. So I, I still think there's a future for crypto. But then again, it's probably going to mean some additional regulation at some point. People are going to have to look at that. The crypto people don't like to talk about that. There's a strong libertarian strain. But look, you have to have basic banking laws, John, basic investment laws, basic SEC laws. And so that's probably part of the story. I'm not a guy who loves regulations. Well, at the begin, beginning of the thing. conversation, he said that his mother ran a pact and the family gave a billion dollars uh, to the Democratic Party with Biden. And then he also said he committed $200 billion yep. to the Democratic Party in 2024. Yeah. Is yep. that called well, protection yeah. money? <laughs> Sounds like it. Doesn't sound like a good investment to me. I think Tom Brady is going to be playing football for another ten years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell us the, the markets. The markets uh, uh, were both working today. The markets were open. The markets went up tremendously after the uh, uh, the um, elec election. You yeah. give us your interpretation. Well, I think two things. You know, yesterday's rally was 
really quite something, um, particularly the, the NASDAQ part, which I think was up 7% or something, and the other indexes are up 3 4 5%. So I think, John, it was a combo, all right? I, I think, you know, the day after the election, there was a lot of confusion. Would the Republicans take the House? Okay, the Senate's still up for grabs. I still think Herschel Walker can help them pull out the Senate. But the House will go Republican. And once those returns were a little clearer, um, I think that that was part of the rally. The market likes gridlock, uh, understands how you can stop the bad stuff with the GOP and have a check of the balance on some of the runaway things that the Bidens have been trying to do. But I think the inflation number was very welcome. We don't yet have an alternative infrastructure to do the kinds of things that the Bidens seem to want to do. They're pushing things way too fast. The movement towards renewables should be looked at as a 50-year cycle, Mm -hmm. not as a 10-year cycle. And meanwhile, we ran this. We talked about this on our show tonight. The United States has the largest declines in carbon emissions in the last 15 years of any of the developed OECD countries. Why? Because of natural gas, which is a clean burning fuel. In fact, the European Union has reclassified it as a clean burning fuel. As well as as well as uh, nuclear. Well, nuclear, of course, but nuclear is the ultimate renewable. But my point is natural gas has been reclassified by the European Union. Their greenies are smarter than our greenies. We should look at that and understand the value of natural gas. And, of course, it affects air conditioning, it affects home heating, and all these things. We need to be... Well, I I think the Germans right now are cutting down trees and trying to get warm when it gets... uh, (laughs) And that's anti-environment, cutting down all those poor trees to to get warm. Larry Kudlow, have a great weekend. 15th century approach to energy. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.